Pizza. Pizza? Pizza. Hunger for some pizza now? Yeah, that's what we thought. Get yours at Domino's Hawaii. We deliver aloha. This podcast is sponsored by Kapili Solar Roofing, building peace of mind one roof at a time. Kids City Adventure, Hawaii's only indoor luxury playground. And Long's Drugs. Download the CVS app today and make Long's a part of your day. Aloha and good afternoon. I'm Dylan Encheta in the Hawaii News Now Digital Center. We begin with breaking news today uh, where from a Hilo courtroom where a woman was responsible for a deadly 2009 shooting was sentenced. All of this happening within the last hour. Now, Patricia Wong was found guilty last year of second-degree murder, attempted murder, criminal conspiracy, and criminal solicitation. The victim, Casey Smith, was found with a single gunshot wound to her head on June 30th, 2009. Now, police say Wong and her co-defendant, Peter Fuerte, tried to make it look like the 21-year-old committed suicide. And today, a judge sentenced her to life in prison with additional time for the other charges. The fact that these are all separate acts makes this case particularly heinous. As you were relentless in your pursuit of killing Casey Smith, the person who knew and trusted you. I'm not going to admit to something I didn't do. And I know God is in my heart, so I do have remorse over Casey, and I loved her like my own. So whatever they think I did, I didn't do it. As you heard there, Patricia Wong maintaining her in her innocence in the courtroom ahead of the sentencing. Now, after the crime, Wong was found in Las Vegas seven years later and arrested in 2016. As for her co-defendant, Peter Fuerte, he reportedly cut a deal with prosecutors and pleaded guilty to lesser charges this past summer. And also happening a short time ago, Governor Josh Green wrapped up a news conference officially launching the One Ohana Fund. Now, the $175 million fund will offer payments to families of people who died in the Maui wildfire or were seriously injured in exchange for them agreeing not to pursue litigation. Applications can be submitted starting March 1st, and families will be eligible for $1.5 million. However, some have expressed concerns because the legislator has yet to approve it. Here's Governor Josh Green. Phase one of our recovery funds, that's what this is. We will offer $1.5 million if people uh, choose to take that. And the reason is because otherwise litigation can take a very long time. They might wait years, three, four, five years to see any resources. And I know this won't solve all of their problems or, or bring their heart back. Um, I know that the distributions will only uh, maybe help them move forward in their lives, but we want to help surviving family members uh, to recover. And so that's what uh, this is really about. But I acknowledge no amount of money will ever, ever be able to address the unimaginable losses that people we care about suffered. Now, as mentioned, some other lawmakers have expressed concern over how all of this is being handled, including if the state can even afford emergency appropriation funds for the program. Here's some of their input. I feel like we're we're guilty at the point of forget the investigation. We're just going to pay out. And I mean, that's like irresponsible, I think, of us. And, and I and I don't agree with it. 
in our litigation, we will be making it very clear that we're not accepting responsibility for anybody else's liability. I'm trying to work with members to figure out where they're comfortable so that we can still try to assist the administration in trying to in, in accomplishing what they want. Now, it definitely has been a busy news morning, but stick with Hawaii News Now as we will have more on this coming up later tonight in our evening newscasts. Also out of Maui, police officers will be receiving hazard pay for hours worked during the COVID pandemic. It comes after a settlement agreement between Maui County and the state's police union. MPD officers who worked patrol will receive 20% hazard pay, while all other officers will receive 15%. 15% hazard pay will also be given for overtime hours calculated at the straight time rate, not the time and a half overtime rate. Hoping um, that the other three county mayors and um, the city councils will see what um, the council and Mayor Bisson did on Maui. And we're hoping that we can come to a same or similar settlement for our officers in the other three counties. This comes after all four counties denied Shopo's request for hazard pay. The union is still negotiating with Honolulu, Hawaii, and Kauai counties. Maui police officers should receive their payments by the end of April. New at noon, we've just received the mugshot for the suspect in a Kaka'ako murder. Police arrested 30-year-old Jesse Nielsen on suspicion of murder. Now, he's accused of stabbing 63-year-old Yaohua Yan to death inside a unit at the Pacifica condo building on Kapi'olani Boulevard one week ago. We're told Nielsen and Yan met on a social media app. HPD identified Nielsen through DNA, surveillance video, and cell phone data and arrested him at OCCC, where he was already in custody for a separate crime. His bail is now set at $1 million. Over on Kauai, a family is in mourning following a crash over the weekend that killed a 55-year-old Kalaheo man. His loved ones identified him as Stephen Ruiz. They say he was, quote, an incredible husband, father, papa, and friend. He touched every single life that he came in contact with, end quote. He was hit by a vehicle Sunday morning around 9 along Poipu Road. Ruiz was taken to a hospital and later pronounced dead. Other factors of the crash are under investigation. Joining us now for an update on the story out of Makaha is our chief investigative reporter, Lynn Kawano. Lynn, we understand there's been some recent developments. What can you tell us? Dylan, last year in July, we reported that a review board was recommending that three out of the four officers be fired. The four officers are charged and face criminal prosecution. Their trial is scheduled for later this year. But in the meantime, three of the four had been on desk duty for years. We're talking about two years on desk duty. The review board recommended firing to Chief Joe Logan back in July. And in recent months, Joe Logan has decided to accept that recommendation and go ahead and fire the officers. So earlier this month, they were terminated. Now they are still appealing this decision. So it could still be a while before those uh, things are resolved. But in the meantime, they have now been fired. They're no longer on desk duty. For some viewers who may not remember this story, can you give us a brief recap of what spawned this investigation? In September of 2021, officers Joshua Nahulu, Eric Smith, and Jake Bartolome are accused of chasing a white sedan. That white sedan then ended up crashing in Makaha, 
multiple people, half a dozen people were seriously and critically injured. Some teenagers uh, lost an eye. One teenager lost an eye. Another teenager uh, was paralyzed after the accident. Now, that teenager has since been able to walk, but it's going to need a lifetime of care. In the meantime, we had three civil lawsuits filed in connection with this. Two of those three have already settled multi-million dollar lawsuits. You know, it's, it's costing taxpayers a lot of money. The accusations are that these officers improperly chased them. We had surveillance video of this. They were chasing this white sedan without lights and sirens on. Um, and it appears that they really didn't have probable cause to chase these people in the white sedan. Of course, the jury's going to decide all of that. But the civil cases have already cost taxpayers millions of dollars. And why has it taken so long for them to only be fired now? That is a, a big question that many have been, have been asking. Even the police commission asked why the internal review took so long. The administrative review took more than a year, and, and everybody was wondering what was taking so long. Really, the police department said it has to do with a lot of witnesses. You have to interview witnesses. You have to go back and review surveillance videos. You have to go back and review body camera videos. So apparently this took a long time for the internal investigation to wrap up. After that happens, then the review board gets to decide, should they be reprimanded with a written reprimand? Should they be suspended? Should they be fired? That process takes a long time. And then the chief has to decide what he's going to do with these officers. It's a, it's a long process. It shouldn't be that long. I think that a lot of people can agree with that, that it took way too long. This is September of 2021. We're now in 2024. So it did take way too long. Um, it, it's a common complaint, even for the officers who want to know what's going to happen. Our chief investigative reporter, Lynn Kawano, joining us in the Digital Center. Thanks so much, Lynn. Yesterday, threats made to several Maui campuses put a lot of people on edge. Maui police have since arrested a 13-year-old girl as they investigate all of these threats. Our Chelsea Davis reports from Wailuku. MPD has confirmed that a 13-year-old girl was arrested for terroristic threatening in the first degree for the Kalama Intermediate School threat. Police officers are still actively working the threats to the other campuses, which include Baldwin High School and Diao School. Outside the Baldwin High School campus in Wailuku right now, where there was an increased police presence today and not a lot of students, there was a post circulating social media yesterday, and it was a threat that was written on a toilet, and it warned of a shooting at Baldwin High School today with a goal of 15 students. Another post surfaced today of a similar threat written on a bathroom stall saying EL school shooting today with a goal of 20 students. Several parents I spoke with didn't send their child to school today while others decided to pick them up early. They're locked in a classroom, um, can't leave the classroom and they just have to stay there pretty much. You know it's not it's not fair to the other kids on in the schools you know a lot of them are scared they're getting picked up because they're worried about getting hurt you know and it's you know that's not something you want to live by being scared especially here on Maui. There were several police officers set up across the campuses today, both uniformed and plainclothes officers. The Hawaii Department of Education sent this letter to parents this afternoon warning them of what's going on and saying these actions can result in penalties ranging from expulsion to arrest. Now, the 13-year-old girl was arrested and released to her parents. Reporting in Wailuku, I'm Chelsea Davis for Hawaii News Now.
There's new video released to the public following a confrontation between police and a student who brought a gun to a mesquite charter school in Texas. The shooting happened last Monday. Alana Quillen walks us through it all. Mesquite police just posted this video on YouTube this morning detailing the latest in their investigation and just a warning some parts of the video might be distressing to some. What you're seeing here is the result of police watching hours of body camera footage and surveillance video from inside the school. Police also released the 911 calls that came out that morning when they say a 16 year old student walked into the office at Pioneer Technology and Arts Academy in Mesquite threatening to harm himself and others. Mesquite 911 Buchanan, what's the address of your emergency? 3200 Oats, I'm the assistant principal, and the student just pulled a gun. I need someone here now, I am with him, he's fine. I'm calming him down, I need to get someone here now. In the call, you can hear administrators pleading with the teen to put the gun down. The campus was then put into lockdown, and the first Mesquite police officer arrived within two minutes of that 911 call. Police say it was at that moment the teen was sitting in the office alone with the gun at his feet when officers walked up and tried talking with him to de-escalate the situation. What's going on today, buddy? Can you talk to us? We would like to help you. That's why we're here. While speaking with the subject, he quickly reaches to the floor to retrieve the handgun. This action can be seen both on officer's body cam as well as CCTV from the school. At this time, one officer fired at the suspect. At that point, you can see the student reach down for something and then one officer fired his gun. Just after that, as the door swings back open in the chaos, you can see from the hallway surveillance camera, the teen standing up with the gun in what police call a shooter stance. Three officers then fired again. A total of 19 shots were fired that morning by police. None were fired by the teen. We're told the student eventually complied with officers and was taken into custody. Police say he was injured but was released same day from the hospital into a juvenile detention center. Despite this update, Mesquite police say they're still in the early stages of this investigation and plan to go through more evidence. President Biden is meeting with national leaders to avoid a partial government shutdown. Natalie Brand has more. We got a lot of work to do. Just days before the deadline to avert a government shutdown, Democratic and Republican congressional leaders emerged from their White House meeting expressing optimism. Doing a shutdown would damage the economy significantly, and I think we all agree to that. We believe that we can get to agreement on these issues and prevent a government shutdown. But House Speaker Mike Johnson doubled down on his view that the southern border should be priority number one. The catastrophe at the border is affecting everyone, and it is top of mind for all the American people for that reason. It's still unclear, though, how lawmakers move forward on aid for Ukraine. The intensity in that room was surprising to me. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who just returned from the war-torn country, emphasized that help cannot wait. It's shaken that here they are fighting without arms against a brutal dictator who will just do anything to kill them. While negotiations for the budget, border and foreign aid drag on payroll for government employees, military service members and their families hangs in the balance. Families are living paycheck to paycheck. Bessa Pinchotti of the National Military Family Association also faults the constant uncertainty of Congress relying on short-term funding deals. We're asking our military families to put themselves in danger while at the same time not knowing whether they can put food on the table. If lawmakers don't reach another agreement by this Friday, agencies including the Departments of Agriculture, Energy and Transportation will run out of money with the Departments of Defense and 
justice set to run out next Friday. Natalie Brent, CBS News, the White House. The presidential primary is underway in Michigan, one of five states that President Biden says will help decide the race for the White House. For both Democrats and Republicans, the stakes are high. Skylar Henry has more from the campaign trail. Voters headed to the polls in Michigan, where Donald Trump has predicted a monumental win. But on the eve of the primary, Nikki Haley told voters the former president is a sinking ship. If you have a candidate who can't bring in independence, if you have a candidate that is driving people out of our party, then that is a sinking ship. At her polling place in Dearborn, Teresita Fox says she's sticking with Trump. The best is to make us safe especially in our neighborhood, but wherever you live, you know, it's chaos. Michigan is a critical swing state. The primary there presents an important political test for the Biden campaign. The White House will be closely tracking the results as well. That's because Michigan has the largest concentration of Arab Americans in the country, many of them angry about the president's position on the war in Gaza. Primary voters have the option of voting uncommitted as a protest against candidates on the ballot. In Dearborn, many voters say that's what they'll do. For those that say, oh, you know, if you don't vote for Biden, you're voting for Trump. No, we're voting for humanity, and that's where we stand. Dearborn's mayor says his city feels betrayed. You know, in 2020, we're promised a president who is going to bring decency back to the White House, who led with humanity. And what we found since the events unfolded on October 7th is anything but. Be free Palestine! The Biden campaign says the president is taking those protests seriously. They're hoping for a decisive win before heading into next week's Super Tuesday contests. Skyler Henry, CBS News, Washington. Let's send you live outside for a beautiful look at Honolulu. It is a lovely Tuesday afternoon. Stay with us. We'll have more news and weather after the break. How's it on this Tuesday? Our weather isn't changing in any significant way anytime soon. So get used to these breezy winds and get used to these scattered showers moving into windward areas, mostly in the morning and overnight hours, definitely drier by the middle of the day. And you can see those showers, especially wet for the east side of Maui and the east side of Hawaii Island this morning. Leeward sides again aren't going to see a whole lot of rain. There will be some splashes coming into leeward neighbors because these winds are so breezy for the next several days. Some of those showers bias towards the windward sides will drift over the mountains into a handful of leeward spots, but we're not talking about a lot of rain. So again, a little damp this morning for some windward neighborhoods, drier by the middle of the day with some stray showers every now and then. Not a lot of rain expected, however, and those winds will be blowing in excess, 15 to 25 miles an hour for the next several days. And as far as the surf, it's still elevated with the high surf advisory for east shores, but it's messy out there. The northeast well is dropping at 5 to 7, but we are expecting north and west uh, shores to be picking up some swells sometime over the weekend. So this is what we're looking at uh, for the next seven days. The breezy winds aren't going to quit anytime soon. So we'll have fair conditions, leeward sides, a fair bit of sunshine with windward and mocha showers coming in from time to time. But there is a chance for a disturbance to bring in more showers, maybe some heavy spots of showers Thursday and Friday, drying up again as we head towards the weekend. Now to some news from the feeds. History is being made during Black History Month. A 25-year-old Upper Darby nurse has become the first black woman to play in the U.S. Women's Polo Championship. Karen Hua shares her inspiring story. 
When you think of polo, you might think of fascinators and fancy champagne. But Shariah Harris has a different story. My mom didn't have money for horses. It was the three of us and my mom. So horses are a very expensive sport and polo is even more expensive. So without the program, I never would have had access to any of it. Raised by a single mom in Upper Darby, Harris stumbled upon the nonprofit Work to Ride when she was eight. The program teaches kids from lower income backgrounds to play polo. So it taught me how to mature quickly because I was either the only girl or then when I left my team in high school to play in college, I was the only black person, period. And not just any college, she got to Cornell on a polo scholarship. Now, she just became the first black woman to play in the U.S. Women's Polo Championship, no less during Black History Month. Butterflies on a thousand, but then once I started playing, it was business as usual. Her team made it to the semifinals, and she's now back working her day job as an operating room nurse at Lankanaw Medical. There might not be an obvious link between horses and nursing. I think it translates well because I would like to say I'm good under pressure. And now, whenever Shariah attends Work to Rise annual fundraising polo classic, she notices a lot more girls and black girls on the field. Her message to those young women now? If you don't see anyone who looks like you, that's okay. It might not feel okay at the time, but it's okay because you never know if you will be the catalyst. And in today's good news now, if you want to open a restaurant or a food truck and maybe don't know where to begin, Hana Kitchens may be able to help you. It's a new space in downtown Honolulu, which will serve as an incubator for sorts of entrepreneurs and the general public. Casey Lund reports. Aloha from the famous Harbor Court building here in beautiful downtown Honolulu. Look at this view and look at this uh, show kitchen. This is where they're able to have uh, different classes and events here. This is the old Palomino restaurant, right? A lot of folks might recognize the front that we showed you, but uh, come with me. They've transformed this, uh, Hana Kitchens has, into this amazing 14,000 square foot space where they have uh, different ghost kitchens. Now I want to pop in here. This is Middle Eats. We had already introduced you to Oscar. He's getting to work. This is for folks that are primarily delivery service, catering. They don't need a front of the house. They don't need a dining area. Uh, so they have that. And then this is the commissary, the sort of uh, shared kitchen space. And with Joe DiCandino with us this morning, the owner of Hana Kitchens. Thank you so much, uh, Joe. We've got Ohana Nui cookies here with us this morning. Uh, we've been smelling uh, the, the uh, fresh baked cookie smell all morning long, but now we've got some other folks hard at work. Who do we have here? Sure, we have um, Little Sparrow. So what they're doing here, they're uh, passing spatzel. Um, so it's a, it's a noodle, an egg noodle, a German egg noodle, and they do those at the farmer's markets. So we have a special piece of equipment that is outfitted to uh, do high yields of production. <laughs> yeah, we were here also with Aloha Bites making guava jam and jelly with, you know, well over 100 pounds of guava. Um, and I think that's what's so unique about this is these smaller operations that maybe aren't able to find the commercial space or find that commercial kitchen product, uh, they're able to come here and focus, like you said, I like the way you put it, focus on their business, not be so in it, correct? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, you know, starting a food business is very difficult. Obviously, finding space in Honolulu, kitchen space with hoods and industrial equipment is very expensive to rent and to operate. Yeah, and so uh, you guys also, what I think is cool, especially when we were talking with Oscar, we showed him in his uh, ghost kitchen there. 
you, you have all these unique culinary flavors, uh, these unique uh, culinary expertise in this building, and they're able to put on classes here too. Yeah, we'd like them to uh, showcase what they're producing here and teach the public a little bit about what they're making and how to make it on island. Some pretty cool stuff happening there. Let's send you live outside now to Hilo, Hawaii. The Merry Monarch stage is already set there at the Edith Kanaka Ole Stadium. Uh, we are so excited. Merry Monarch is upon us, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Aloha. This podcast is sponsored by Kapili Solar Roofing, building peace of mind one roof at a time. Kids City Adventure, Hawaii's only indoor luxury playground and Long's Drugs. Download the CVS app today and make Long's a part of your day. Pizza. Pizza? Pizza. Hungry for some pizza now? Yeah, that's what we thought. Get yours at Domino's Hawaii. We deliver aloha.